any sense of pride that we, we may have brought to the table today, Lord, is, um, is stiff-armed when we come up to you and to your table, Father. Or do you say that um, you reject the proud, but you accept the humble, Lord, and we just want to come before you, uh, humbly laying our lives at the altar of Christ, knowing that we need you, God, knowing that uh, we need to hear from you, knowing that we need the truth that you give to us in our lives, knowing that we need your grace and your mercy, Lord. God, so as we look into your word this morning, thank you so much for God that we got to, to worship you in truth this morning. And as Joel comes, we just ask that you would uh, and just reveal your truth to us. Help us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And say this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, uh, you know, Kyle, we're excited to have you here. But uh, one of the things that I love most about you and your family is you've already embraced Tennessee tradition. You've got your Tennessee gear on today, and I love that. Uh, his little daughter over here is in a Tennessee cheerleading outfit. And so how adorable is that, right? Like for Arkansas people, they are embracing some vol mania. I love it. Um, well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's celebrate how good God is in giving us his truth. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And we're going to be in several different places in Scripture this morning, but we're going to come back into Ecclesiastes in a few minutes. Um, but I want you guys to turn there to begin. Um, ever have a hard time finding a book in the Bible when you get on stage to preach? Um, there it is. All right, fantastic. I actually have, this is confession time too, uh, I have this terrible fear that I'm going to get on stage to preach sometime and open up the Bible and not be able to find the text that I'm supposed to be preaching from. And uh, it only happened to me one time when I was at my last church in Arkansas and I got up and I literally could not find the, <laughs> the book. I was like, this is why I should earmark things before I preach. Uh, but Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and start in verse 9. Uh, this is probably a passage you've heard uh, spoken on before, and maybe from weddings or something like that, but here's what Solomon says as he writes. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Uh, now, I want you to imagine this morning, just for a minute, that you're tubing down a, a small river. Anybody like to tube on river or something like that? Uh, it's fun, right? And so, but you're just out tubing. You're in these little cheap kind of rafts, just something really small. Not even a raft, just an inner tube like kind of thing. And uh, you're with a group of people, maybe, and you're just chucking down the river and, and having a great time. Maybe you've even got your favorite like uh, cooler of drinks that's tied to the raft or something. Mine would be overflowing with Dr. Pepper. That would be my kind of go-to on the river kind of thing. And some of you went to totally different place and that's you know your thing but um you know maybe you've got that maybe even you've got some music playing on your tube and and you're just going down the river and things are great and you love it and you're having a good time just your family friends whatever hanging around but then all of a sudden you start to to uh, to realize that the river's picking up speed and you're going a little bit faster than you were and you kind of look and you're like oh the river seems a little deeper here than i thought it was and you didn't do your homework before you got in the river and as you look down the river you start to realize the reason it's picking up is because we're on a pretty major river here. And in fact, in front of us, I see class three and class four and class five rapids. And so now it is panic mode that sets in because you're in this little cheap tube. Now, if that were the situation, if that were the case, um, what do you think you would need when the river goes from calm to crazy? You would probably want a bigger raft, number one, right? You want to get in something more substantial than your little tube that you're hanging out in. Uh, you might want, with class three and four and five rapids in front of you, you might want a guide 
to be in the boat with you, helping you navigate that. And in fact, I would bet you would want more people to jump into the raft with you to help you navigate the river and paddle through the rapids. So why do I tell you that story this morning? Or why do I want you to think through that? Well, here's the reason. Because often we treat life this way. And as long as things in life are going really good and the calm travels, calm river in front of us, we're okay. We feel like we're okay just doing life alone. But when things get hard in life, we start to realize that I can't do this life all by myself. I need some people in the boat with me. I need a guide who's helping me out. I need someone to be paddling with me. I need the support, the encouragement of other people. Because the truth is, is that life gets rocky sometimes. Life gets difficult. Life becomes unmanageable at points in times in our life. And so we need to understand that when life gets crazy, we need people around us to help us navigate the roughness of life. So if you're taking notes this morning, either on the app uh, for our, our church app or on the back of your bulletins, if you want to write some things down, here's the first blank that I would give you this morning. It's this, that God has created us for community. God has created us for community. Now, I want to start, though, with the first part of that. God has created us. Because really, that has to be the starting point. If God created us, then we can understand how we're supposed to live. Because if God created us, then God has also told us how we're supposed to live under His authority, with His divine direction, under the principles of Scripture. That we have a direction set out for us, and He intends for us to not only live, but to live His way. But before we'll submit to that, we have to know that God created us. So one of the first places I want us to look this morning is back in Scripture to just kind of get this picture of saying, before we'll submit to the fact that God has created us to live in community, we first have to just put ourselves in that place to say, God's created us. And if God has created us, then how should we live? So let's look at a couple of things. David in the Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. David said, even in my mother's womb, you were responsible for knitting me together. You made me. You knew me. In the most private places of life, you were designing me. And so David says, I was created, you created me in, the, in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah says this, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And how amazing is that? That God's awareness of you didn't begin the day you were born. That God has known you from all eternity past. That He has known that He was going to create you. That He was going to put you right here, right now. That He knows every detail about you. And that He has designed you for a specific reason. He says, I have put you together before I even formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And that was Jeremiah's specific thing. For others of us, there are different specifics that God has for us. But let's go on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul is writing and he says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so Paul says, not only were we created by God, but God created us for a reason. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God's prepared for us in advance. That He has some specific 
things that He wants you to do. I believe each of us has a specific purpose that God created us for. But I also believe that there are general purposes that all of us share. And so one of the things that we're going to look at is that if we have a general purpose to fulfill, to find that general purpose, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. What is the general purpose that God's created you and me for? And so we go back to, to Genesis. God created the earth. And with everything that God created, you remember the account, with everything God created, He would create something and proclaim, that's good. He would create something and say, that's good. He would create something and say, that's good. There's only one thing that after God finished creating, he looked at his creation, he looked at Adam, and he said, it's, you know what? It's not good that man should be alone. That's, that's not good. I mean, man in his created state is good. God created us in his image, but he looked at, at Adam and he said, but I, it's not good that Adam's alone. So we need to do something about that. And so when we see this, we start to understand that God said it wasn't good for men to be alone because he was concerned about man's loneliness because God exists in community. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has for all of eternity existed in the, the dynamic community of his trinity. And in that relationship that he is one God in the form of three persons, and as we start to think about that, and if you can try to wrap your mind around that just a little bit, that God has existed for all of, of time, for all of eternity, in this dynamic relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if we're created in the image of God, and when He put Adam on the earth, He created him to be in community as God is in community. And then He looked at Adam and He goes, but He's not. He's not in community. He has no one that's like Him. So we need to do something about that. So let's look back. At the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it should be on the screens for you to read along with me. But here's what, what happens. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, a couple of things. Number one. Genesis contains two accounts, basically, of, of creation. In the first account, you get what we just read. He created them male and female. So you go, wait a minute, didn't God from the very beginning create them male and female? Wasn't Eve right there with Adam from the very beginning? No. If you go to chapter 2 and you read, you'll see that God created Adam first, and then he recognizes Adam's loneliness and he creates Eve, or he recognizes that Adam's not a community, so he creates Eve. The first telling of the creation account is almost poetry. That he, Moses is writing to the Hebrew people and he's explaining how God created everything. And he wants them to know at the very beginning that male and female were created by God. But then in chapter 2, he starts to flip it a little bit and he gets more into general storytelling. So he goes, so God created Adam first. He created him out of the dust of the earth. He breathed life into him. But then he recognized that Adam was alone. And so he creates Eve later. The second thing that I want you to pay attention to here is that the Hebrew word God in this passage, when he says, and God said, let us make mankind in our image. The Hebrew word for God in this passage is Elohim. It's the name for God that was designed to explain God as, uh, as Trinity. That it is a, uh, a plural form of the name of God. From the very beginning, when we see Moses writing, he says, in the beginning, Elohim, God. Not singular God, plural God. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so from the very beginning as Moses writes this, he tells us about God, that God himself exists in this Trinitarian form. 
says, let us make man in our image. God wasn't talking to angels. He wasn't talking to any other created being. In his trinity, he was talking to, uh, to the other members of the trinity. And the Father says to the Son and the Spirit, let us create man in our image. And so in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. For all of eternity, God has existed in the perfect community of Father, Son, and Spirit. So when he saw that Adam was alone in the garden, it bothered God. It bothered him to think, I've created this man, but there's no community for him. There's perfect relationship between the man and God. God would walk in the garden with Adam every afternoon, every evening. But even at that, there was something that was missing. Adam had no one who was like him. And so God comes to Adam. He puts him to sleep. He creates Eve. And Adam, um, Eve was created. And I love this. I love this idea that Adam was created. Excuse me. Eve was created not to, to, um, to complete Adam, but to complement him. Right? And so men and women in the room, whether you're married or not, and especially for, for single people, that we might look and go, man, what's the deal with this? That I'm waiting for that person who's going to come along and complete me. No man or no woman is going to complete you. But we are created by God to complement one another. That God gave Adam a wife so that she would be a helpmate to him, a partner in life with him. That she would stand side by side with him. And that he was fulfilled in that relationship. And so God gives us this relationship and he gives Adam this relationship with Eve so that he has someone who is like him. So here's what I want you to see next blank on your outline. That God created us to connect with Him, but God also created us to connect with other people. Because again, God had a perfect relationship with Adam. They walked and talked face to face in the garden every evening. God would show up and just take walks with Adam in this perfect creation of His. And yet there was still something that was missing because while Adam had a perfect relationship with God, he also needed a relationship with someone else. And so God gave him someone else. The same is true for you and I. We're created to have a relationship with God, but we're also created to have a relationship with other people. That's why we spend so much time this summer talking about what I called the main thing. And we did a whole teaching series where we talked about what is the main thing. Jesus was asked a question by a lawyer. What's the greatest command in all of Scripture? Jesus, if you can narrow it down to one thing, what's the one command, the main thing? Do you remember what Jesus said? I hope you do. We talked about it for like four weeks. Jesus answered in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So the greatest command is not singular, it's a twofold command. And so Jesus says, listen, the greatest command is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Doing these things together is what's going to fulfill all of the law and the prophets. If you can do those two things, you'll keep a balance for how to fulfill all the rest of the law. So here's what we have to be careful with. A lot of us are walking with Jesus in our faith journey, and we're doing a great job with that. I mean, I spend daily time with God. I read my Bible. I have my prayer time. I do all these things. And my relationship with God is really great. I've got this really incredible vertical relationship with God. However, I'm kind of a loner, and I don't really have relationships on a horizontal level where I'm investing in other people and letting other people invest in me. And so I'm trying to create some space and separation. So we love God, but we've still got a long way to go with loving people and letting the relational need of our life truly be realized. And maybe that 
is what this year will be about for you. Maybe for some of you, this is going to be the year where you'll say, it's time for me to take the relationship I have with God and take it public in some places where I can also extend that into my relationship with other people. Uh, here's a great quote from Jim Putman. And by the way, um, I'm reading his book right now called The Power of Together. And there are several things that ha- he has influenced my thinking in this message particularly. So I want to give uh, credence to him or credit to him uh, in some things. But Jim Putman said this in his book, The Power of Together. The needful ingredient so many Christians are missing is the power that comes from being together. That needful ingredient that some of us don't even realize. Man, as long as I'm good with God and I'm spending time with God and I go to church, then that's great. I don't need other people really in my life. And and that would just be a false way of thinking. That God has created us for community. In fact, the next blank on your outline is this. That we are hardwired to connect. We're hardwired. It is built into our DNA. Do you remember what what God uh, told Jeremiah? Before you were ever even born, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I had a plan for you, a purpose for you. David said, you, you knit me together in that secret place. You put me together. If God created us, if God fashioned us, and God lives and exists in community, it makes perfect sense to think that He has created us to live in community, that it is hardwired into our DNA to want to be in community with other people. So what kind of community do we need? Well, two things. The next blank's on your outline. God wants us to pursue honest relationships. God wants us to pursue honest relationships. That when we come into community, it's not enough to put on the mask that some of us wear to church and say, everything's great, my life's all put together and everything's wonderful. And so, you know, if you ask me how am I doing, I'm doing great, everything's fantastic. But the honest relationships that we can form means that we need to sit down together with people and be willing to have authenticity in our life, transparency in our life. That we're willing to say, there are some things in me that aren't great. There are some places in me that are really broken, that are really hurting. And I need somebody that I can share that with. So we need to be in honest relationship. The second thing is God wants us to connect deeply with other people. This isn't surface level connecting. Yeah, okay, I'll go to group, but when I'm at group, I'm just going to sit there. I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to get to know people, at least not on anything beyond a surface level. God wants us to connect in deep ways. He wants us to have relationships that go beyond the surface, that go deep, that dive into the things that are important in life. And even people who don't think they need relationships, ultimately, it's hardwired into them. They can't help but to want relationship. This past week, uh, I had an opportunity. Wednesday morning, I was downtown. uh, Just a beautiful morning. So cool outside. And so I just took my uh, my Bible and some of the books that I'm, I'm studying as I'm reading and preparing for these messages. And, and I just sat on, in Broad Street. There's some tables downtown in Broad Street. And so I was just sitting out there and uh, reading and studying and praying a little bit. And, uh, and the whole time that I was there, there's this guy at the table right beside me. And, uh, and you could just kind of tell from his appearance he was probably homeless. And, uh, and he, he just, he was alone. And he, I just, he, was, he was on his little phone. He was trying to use his phone, but he was having a problem and couldn't, couldn't get it working right. And so, um, so after I had been there for about 30 or 45 minutes, uh, the coffee shop right across the street from me, Hibbert Davis, I love to go down there. If you're a downtown person, go check them out. They're awesome. Um, same, shameless plug. For, I don't get paid for that at all. And so, um, but, uh, but I just got up and I was going to go get something to drink. I drink hot chocolate. I'm not a coffee guy. And so I walk over to this dude and I just go, hey, man, um, I'm going to go get something to drink. Would you like anything? And, uh, and he goes, uh, yeah, I'll take a, a Mountain Dew. 
I was like, uh, I don't think the coffee shop sells Mountain Dew, bro. And um, he goes, oh, well, down, down at the corner, down on the end of Broad Street, there's a market down there, and they have Mountain Dew. I was like, okay, great. So now I'm going on a scavenger hunt. And so uh, I take off down to this market, and, and at the corner, the, uh, the newspaper stand, magazine stand guy down on the corner. And, and I'd never been in that store before, and I was always like, I don't know how that guy stays open. I don't know how he exists, but he does, and that's cool. And today I needed him. I need a Mountain Dew, and I think he has some. So I go in, I grab a Mountain Dew, and I go up to pay, and as I get to the register, it says, uh, no credit cards, and I was like, I don't ever carry cash. I have no money on me, and so I just kind of go, oh, you don't take credit cards. And he goes, it's okay. It's on me today. You can take it. Just go. And I was like, I still don't know how you stay open. You're just giving product away. And, and, and so um, he goes, next time you're in, just, just you can catch me then. I said, okay, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And so I take it back down, get my hot chocolate, go back, take the guy, and, uh, and um, sit the Mountain Dew down in front of him. I said, man, hey, um, I just wanted to ask, are you, you know, are you homeless? Are you living out here? And, and he goes, yeah, I've been out here for a couple of weeks now. And um, I, I was living with my mom for a while, but uh, now I'm, I'm out on the streets. And it's been a couple of weeks I've been out. And, and uh, I said, man, that's, that's got to be really hard. And he said, yeah, it, it has been. It's really, it's really been difficult. And he said, the thing is that I've found is I just want people to leave me alone. Uh, I'm just trying to, to stay to myself because the other people that I run into down here, there's there's a lot of people who are mean. They, they don't treat me well. I try to go and get help from different places, and they don't, they don't take care of me. And, and so I'm just trying my best to be alone. I'm, I'm trying right now to get in touch with my boss so I can tell him that I can't make it to work today. And, and so, you know, he was trying to hook up the Wi-Fi inside and, and this whole thing. But the ultimate thing was he kept saying, I, I, just, I just want people to leave me alone. I just want to be by myself. But here's what I found. I didn't leave him alone. Um, I just kept asking him questions. Because I knew I was talking about the power of community today. And I said, you know, I, I believe it's really difficult. It's, it's really hard to be alone. You, you know, God's made us to connect with other people. And, and so I just started asking, well, where are you from originally? Are you from Kingsport? Is this home? No, I'm from Elizabethan. And he just started telling me his story. And I would ask a question and he would unfold another layer of his life. And I would ask a question and he would unpack something new and different. But all the while, he's telling me at the beginning, I just want people to leave me alone. But every time I asked a question, he was more than willing to share. Why is that true? Why did he do that? Because God has hardwired us internally in our DNA to connect with other people. And whether he knew it or not, that may have been the best thing that happened to him that day was that he had interaction with another human being that showed compassion to him. Because we need each other. We need one another. And when that's missing from our life, we start to see holes and gaps in our life. We're not meant to go through life together alone. Look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and start in verse 9 again. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. In other words, there are times in our life that we're going to trip up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to go through difficult times. And we need someone else to help pick us back up, to get us back in the saddle, so to speak. To help us get back on our way. To encourage us back into the path of following after Christ. But if we're walking through life alone and we fall or we sin and we mess up and we make mistakes and we go against God's purposes for our life and there's no one in our life to encourage us and say, it's okay, get back up. I had a friend of mine that called me this week from, uh, from Arkansas, one of the, the churches that we served at, and, and he was going through some difficult stuff lately, but God's been dealing with his heart. 
And he just called me and he said, I just needed to talk to somebody. He knew he could turn to me. And that I would be somebody who would listen to him and encourage him and, and help him back to the right place where he's fallen after Christ again. And so we've got to have a great conversation. But we need each other. When someone falls down, you need someone to pick them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie together down, uh, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one person keep warm alone? So he says th- there's like literal value just in being able to help one another out for a husband and wife on a cold night to be able to, to sleep together who would say we keep each other warm. Or for soldiers in battle, which may be more appropriate for the scene that we're talking about, that they're out in battle in a cold field with nothing around them, not any comforts, no beds or blankets or anything. And so guys would just form big huddles and just sleep right there on the ground. And their body heat would take care of things. And so you see all of this unfold. He says we need each other. How can you keep warm alone? Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So this is, again, kind of a battle illustration. You just imagine being in the middle of a a battle, being surrounded on all sides by enemies, and if I can't see what's happening behind me, I can get attacked from behind. But if I've got someone with, I've got a sword, and they're to my back, and they've got a sword, and we're standing back to back, we can defend each other and protect each other and catch each other's blind sides. That's how things function and operate best in community. And then he says this, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So he inserts and says there's even something that's stronger than two people, it's three. And for us, in our relationship, we would say the third strand is God. That God is the person who binds all of this together and that makes our life the most complete, gives us the most strength, that as we're in relationship with one another, as we're on a team with one another, and that as God is the central part of that, that He holds it all together, and that can't be easily destroyed or easily broken up. So Solomon knew and understood the power of people in relationship and community together. He knew what it took to have people in the raft with him that were journeying along in life through the rapids. And here's what I love. God's been telling us for thousands of years that we were made for a relationship. I mean, from the very beginning, 4,000 years ago, Adam needs Eve. There needs to be a relationship. God's been telling us this all along. And science is starting to catch up to what God has been saying for thousands of years. I read an excerpt this week from a book called Anatomy of the Soul by Dr. Kurt Thomas, who's a psychiatrist. Uh, Dr. Thomas is tracing the surprising connections between neuroscience and spiritual practices. And so I love this. Listen to what he says. Dr. Thomas notes how science shows that when a person is honest and relates in conversation with affirming, interested listeners, the person's brain actually goes through a reconfiguration process where it is healed and made stronger. How crazy is that? So if you're in an authentic relationship where there's someone you're communicating with and they are actively listening to you, They're not doing anything else but standing there going, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, tell me more about that. Your brain is being reconfigured to heal itself in some broken places because you're in a relationship. Listen to this. Not only is that person healed, the brain of the person listening is equally affected in profound, positive ways. Thompson's big premise is that the more meaningful our relationships with others, the healthier our minds. In other words, science tells us that we are not to be alone. Isn't that amazing? That what Jesus has been saying, what God has been saying for thousands of years, science is starting to connect the dots and go. When you're in a relationship where there's open, authentic, trusting conversation that's happening, it brings about healing. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what struggles you're going through. But I can tell you this. 
that one of the starting points for healing for yourself is to be in authentic relationship with other people. That you'll find a way to open up and share where you are to someone who will actively listen to you, who will pay attention to what you're going through, and who will be there to walk with you. That starts to bring about incredible healing. So that's why we spend so much time and energy at our church helping people connect to life groups. Uh, in fact, today we're going to be dismissing in a few minutes to allow you to go out and to engage in life groups this year. But even as I talk about this, there's some of you in the room who are already sitting there going, how can I, as soon as the doors open, get out quickly? Maybe there's a path to the left that won't let me go into that room where the community group signups are, and I've got to get out of this, and there's, there's got to be a way not to connect with people. I just want to sit in a church chair and listen to a message and then go home. That's all I really want. That's what faith is about for me, and so that's what I want. And I'm trying to figure out how do I not sign up for a group this year. Well, let me just tell you that if God is a relational God, and He created us to be in a relationship as well, it makes sense that the devil would want to keep you from relationship. It makes sense that if God is a communal God, if He has designed us to be like Him in nature, that we're designed for community, that Satan will do everything possible to destroy community in your life. This is why Satan works so hard to tear husbands and wives apart. This is why Satan works so hard to make family difficult where mothers and fathers don't connect with their kids appropriately. Teenagers, this is why Satan is working so hard in your life to keep you thinking that your parents are not cool and they don't want what's best for you. Satan will lie to you over and over and over again to divide you from community. All the while, God's telling us, I've hardwired in your DNA to connect. You're designed for this. You're made for it. And we don't need to fall prey to Satan's attempts to separate us from community. Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we need to be the kind of people that will jump into the fray, that will say, community is what God's created me for. So this year, even though it goes against everything inside of me, I'm going to try my best to get into community, to be involved in that life. So here's our strategy for how we're going to do community life this year. As you jump into a group, we're going to keep it simple, hopefully where you can get your mind wrapped around this. We want to make it where people will say, I want to structure my life for community. And our strategy this year is that we're going to meet weekly, we're going to fellowship monthly, and we're going to serve quarterly. And so we're going to ask you to think this semester and to think this year about how you could orient your life to where you're saying, once a week I'll meet with my group. I'll get together once a week to do fellowship, to do community, to do relationship, to do honesty. And then once a month, our group's going to fellowship together. It's not going to be Bible study time. It's just going to be hanging out. Let's do that. Let's invite other people to come. This will be a great open door for people who are not in our church to say, why don't you come just hang out with us? We're barbecuing tonight. Come hang out. It's going to be a blast. We're fellowshipping together. And then once a quarter, at least once a quarter, we're going to ask groups to serve so that as a community, you're making an impact in this community for the kingdom of Christ, in Kingsport for the kingdom of God. And so we want to help groups do those things, to meet weekly, to serve monthly, fellowship monthly, and to serve quarterly. All right? So my hope, my challenge is that you'll embrace that and that you'll connect to group. Don't let Satan pull you away from it. All right? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we want to learn to orient our lives around the power of community. We believe, God, that there is nothing more important 
outside of our relationship with you than to establish relationships.